0: Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. And it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the House. Your weekend wake-up tradition.
1: Inch by inch, row by row, gonna make this start grow.
0: Come on around back, Arizona, another beautiful Saturday morning here at Rosie on the House, 8 o'clock, third Saturday of the month. We have Jay Harper in talking notes from the nursery, and our main topic today is focusing on our transition from our rye winter lawns to our summer Bermuda lawns, if you do have a natural lawn at your home castle or cabin. Good morning, Jay. Good morning. You know, I I will
1: have to, Says I was driving in this morning looking around, Probably mid-April to Memorial Day is the most beautiful time of the year in the in the Phoenix area, in our part of the of the state. You know everything that can bloom, I think, is blooming. Oleanders, palaverdes Bougainvillas, tacomas, winter annuals, and summer annuals. Depending on if you switched them out or not, we're going to talk about transition in lawns, but it's also time to transition. You know a number of things. Um, but uh, it, it just it's just fabulous this night what I call 9060 weather that we get in May, you know, 90 degrees for the highs and 60s for the lows. you can leave the house in the morning and still be comfortable in the same clothing all day long and even in the evening sitting outside don't have to have a jacket, don't have to shed layers. It's wonderful. but uh, we're talking about lawns and May is also, it's the most beautiful month, I think, April and May, but it is also a month of transition because we know what's coming. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> you know, May and October weather are pretty darn similar, um, but, you know, we know what's coming in May and, we, and we're in October. We don't mind it sometimes if it's staying a little warm because we know what's coming. Um, the days are getting longer in May. They're getting shorter in October. Um, and so uh, we know what's ahead of us. So it's time to transition a lot of things. Uh, lawns, you know, might be the most dramatic just because if you did plant a winter lawn, if it isn't kind of starting to poop out on its own, you should may be making it, forcing it to
0: Just by cutting transition. the water.
1: Just, just mow it shorter and cut back on the water. I, I'm not a big proponent of absolutely turning the water off. You know, other than maybe for a few days to get your dethatcher in and, and do some do some of that final maintenance on that. So the schedule to me is in about oh, mid to late April when we first start getting in the 90s on a regular basis is start lowering your lawnmower height. By the time we get into about Mother's Day, you know, Hopefully we haven't had a
0: hundred degree day yet, but
1: we're gonna be close
0: probably. I think we had one last week, didn't we? We had
1: one if we've had one, and I think we're due maybe for another one. Or did Ooh. one, or you know, we're we're right there. Um so your your low your mowing height should probably actually by now be just about as low or lower even than where you would maybe maintain your summer or Bermuda lawn at. That, that in and of itself is probably going to brown out the ryegrass pretty good. Once we get it to that final mowing height, it's about Mother's Day, we're maybe right at or near 100 or we've hit 100 a couple of times, then I just go ahead and do the final just like you were putting in a winter lawn. I'd sc- scalp it pretty short. Not down to the dirt. We don't do that with winter lawns anymore either. But a, But a good final low mowing. And then if you're so inclined, I would encourage it. Get a dethatcher, get with a neighbor or two, share it, rent it. They're not that expensive, um, but make a, make a get-to-know-your-neighbor morning out of it and uh, help each other. The, big, the biggest issue with dethatching is all the stuff you create, you know, the thatch and the dander that you are going to churn up that you've got to dispose of. You know, you can compost it. There's a number of things you can do, but uh, you can also just put it in your green waste and have it hauled off. So get the dethatching done. If you're really ambitious, I would also recommend aerating.
0: Now, before you jump to aerating on dethatching, if your lawn's tall enough that you don't see your sprinkler heads, get one of those little metal uh, flags that have the plastic flag and stick it right where your mower is so you don't accidentally catch Unless it. Unless you the... just want
1: to change sprinkler heads out anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but you're going to you you drive one of those hollow tines down through a sprinkler head it it is
0: not going to be very. You're getting good out anymore. the the the, the digger, the yeah. trencher, because you're, yeah. you're pulling up sprinkler heads. You're, you're redoing heads. heads. You know when you mow the lawn, you go over it one time, and you generally that's all it needs. I found on the dethatcher, it seems like going over it once may not be enough. You may have to go over two, three, four times.
1: Well, as you remove some thatch, it allows it to get down, you know, a little bit lower. You don't want it in the dirt. I mean, if you're churning up dirt, you're too deep. Too deep. deep. But you should be right at that almost. And and you're right. I usually do at least twice, and I go one way back and forth, and then I cross hatch it the opposite direction. North, south, and east and west. Right. I think that generally will will take care of it. And you can. They're easy to adjust the heights on those, Um, and yeah, make sure you're not down in the dirt, Um, but make sure you're turned churning up. A lot of fluff and stuff. If you're not, you're not deep enough. And and yeah, depending on how low you've mowed your lawn, will depend on how low or high you need to set the depth of your of your dethatcher.
0: And what's the benefit of dethatching? What's the reason we do it? Well,
1: a couple of things. But uh, if you're transitioning from winter to summer lawn, it will also it will help get a lot of that. What is probably now dead blades of ryegrass up out of, the, uh, out of the canopy of the lawn. Also, as grass grows, it builds up thatch. It's the material down there that you don't see till you mow short or, or actually see it. Or if you went to a lawn and parted it like you were parting your hair, down there about ground level or a little above, you would see some brownish or yellowish material. And that's that's thatch if that gets built up which it does you know can just like if you looked at a at an old hedge in a landscape that's been kept clipped or sheared at the same level year after year after year if you go over and part that or if you ever do cut it a little below that you know there's a little bit of green at the top and then inside is just this tangle of little twigs and branches of what looks like dead material um so by dethatching the lawn, we get all that stuff out of the way. It allows us to be more efficient with water. Water will make its way more easily to the to the ground level. Fertilizer will make its way. Sunlight will make its way. All of those things will make its way down to the soil level and then allow water and, and nutrients to get down to the roots much easier. Um, we don't want to do it too often, and we don't want to do it at the wrong time of the year. You, right now is when you want to do it, when the lawn is starting to actively grow. You're doing it to get rid of that ryegrass, but you're also doing it to, to give your lawn a rejuvenated pruning, just like we would cut bougainvilleas or lantanas in February or March way back, almost to the ground, and let them rejuvenate, let them regrow. So the, the pretty part of the lawn is the new growth. It's not the old thatch. So that's that's why we're doing it. But it also helps us make that transition from winter to summer lawn and a when little you quicker.
0: Say not too often. It's not something we need to do every year.
1: Well, maybe maybe once a year, um, especially if you do plant a winter lawn. I would I would advocate doing it at least once a year. But you certainly don't want to do it two or three times a year. And more importantly, you don't want to do it. We used to have a lot of people do it in the fall when they put their winter lawn in. because it's a very effective way to get that summer lawn, Bermuda, opened up and get the ryegrass seed down. But you are damaging that plant at a time when it's not able to recover. And if plants can't recover and grow new growth, the new growth then conducts photosynthesis. It creates carbohydrates for the plant to live on and to generate more new growth. You take all that away and then it goes dormant as it can have a very hard time or it may not come back at all this time of year. Because it sat dormant without the ability to store up any carbohydrates through the through the late fall and into the winter.
0: So that's dethatching, and a dethatcher is you know just like your real lawnmower. It, it goes in a circle, but it's got these basically pulverizing hammerheads that are made out of metal. That yeah, they're blades that
1: spin. Rather than a real mower, they spin horizontally. These spin, I I would say, is vertically, and they're all kind of independent. Blades in there, and they're on a shaft, and they're just—it's just like a high-powered comb or rake going through there. That just, you know, gets in there and just, you know, uh, paws like a like a like a paw of a cat or a, you know, and and just claws that stuff out of there.
0: And you said if you're super uh, ambitious, you can aerate after that. So this is a now separate machine.
1: Separate machine, it's actually as easy or easier to operate. The problem is they're very heavy, and they've got to be heavy because what we're doing is taking a a machine that, again, has a, a row of, instead of blades, they're what I would call tines, like a rake, but they're hollow. And the whole idea is we drive that tine into the ground, and it's hollow, and it pops out a core of soil. So it goes in the first time, it grabs a core of soil. The next one it hits pops that one out and collects a new one. So you're actually creating holes in your yard.
0: Like your artificial earthworm.
1: Correct. Very very good analogy. It's making airspace for those roots and and stolons and rhizomes to kind of regenerate. Again, you're regenerating instead of the top. You're regenerating. The root growth. Plus, you're opening the, our compacted, heavy soils up, again, so that nutrients, moisture, air can get into the soil more easily.
0: And when it's aerated, is that a good time to put in gypsum in those holes and sand and fertilizers to help? Like you said, those those hard clays. Does that help leach into those clays and make them a little more loose?
1: Absolutely. I apply gypsum or soil, soil sulfur or both. Uh, immediately after. What I do is I put it all on and then go back over it with a lawnmower without a catcher and just bust all those little cores of soil up, churns the gypsum or sulfur up, it all kind of falls back down into the into the earth and away you go.
0: Continue our way through the lawn transitions as we head into summertime where we see the bermuda grass growth and we went through aerating and <clears throat> dethatching and you know putting down gypsum and uh what time frame now for the bermuda lawn to really come into full lush green because uh, once when you do all that aerating and dethatching it's you got a period of time there that it doesn't look great
1: you can have a couple weeks it's not yeah. going to look the best but if you When it comes to the transition, you can either kind of get it all over with at once, or if you just let ryegrass transition on its own, it might take all summer, and you have dead patches appearing as ryegrass dies. Usually what happens is the ryegrass will hang on till about the monsoon, and we get those first really hot night, you know, when it only gets down to, we look at the, we watch the 10 o'clock news, and it's still 102 degrees, and we go, oh my gosh, and the ryegrass does the same thing, <laughs> but it just—it doesn't go, oh my gosh, it dies. And people, and people will call up or go into the nursery and say, hey, my lawn just died. Well, yeah, your winter lawn finally died. The problem is, is that your Bermuda now has been, has been dormant for so long, a lot of times it can't come back or, or comes back very slowly in patches. So you have this patchwork lawn for maybe a couple of months in the early summer. You do it now. You can kind of just get the ugliness out of the way all at once. But to answer your question, how long is it going to take? Well, some of that's going to depend on the weather. The hotter it gets, the faster it's going to recover, which we don't want to necessarily see that. <laughs> so again, we're kind of we're kind of darned if we do and darned if we don't here. But the the Bermuda grass loves hot, humid weather. Um, so. You know, it's, it's going to take a couple of weeks. If it stays nice and cool, which we kind of hope for, it might take a little longer. But certainly by the middle of June, you know, we're here in the middle of May, the middle of June, your lawn should be pretty well on its way to recovered it and it'll be beautiful all summer.
0: Now let's talk about options for not uh, going to a summer lawn. Like we've got uh, <clears throat> the lawn in the front and the lawn in the back. Mm-hmm. Nobody <laughs> ever uses the lawn in the back in the summer. Um, The lawn up front, uh, we use regularly. So I'm just not even going to worry about the lawn in the backyard. Good. Is what, uh, save the water, save the time, energy of of maintaining it, mowing it, do I just shut the sprinklers off in the back there and let it go? Um, Or do I, you know, something tells me I, I need to probably still keep it a little moist here and there so it's not... When it's time to plant the ryegrass, it's not like hard, compacted.
1: Yeah, or you could just wait till you're getting ready to plant the ryegrass again and mow it, if, <clears throat> water it a few times, excuse me, as we got closer. If you don't have any trees in the lawn or any other reason to water the lawn and you just want to let it go for the summer, uh, there's probably no reason to really water it, even any reason to keep the soil moist, because you're not doing anything with it. As I said, once we get, let's say you're going to put your winter lawn back in in early October, maybe a week before that you start the watering back
0: up. That's all um, it'll take to help. But it, yeah, it, it, doesn't ta- it doesn't take that long. But I
1: think, so let's back up. We talked about before that, how long is it going to take? So we said by the middle of June, we're going to have a nice summer lawn. Middle of June to middle of July is one month. August is two months. September is three months, and then we're overseeding again. So, guess which lawn you have for most of the year. The it's rock. actually your winter lawn. Um, so, my my argument has been all along: um, in the winter, in the summer lawn, the Bermuda takes a lot more water. It's kind of contrarian thinking, but if you want to have the lawn when you're going to enjoy it the most going to be the prettiest it's probably your winter lawn that you really want to nurture and have look good and in some cases like you have the ability just to shut it off now somebody's thinking about doing that in their front lawn I will caution you that your city's code enforcement might not
0: or HOA
1: or or, or HOA depending on you know so you need to check all that out before you just go and do that um, in the front yard. Um, but uh, certainly we want to be responsible with water. And if we're going to have turf, there's a reason to have turf. That's for kids and dogs to play on. It isn't just to look good. Um, so, I mean, having it look it looks nice, that's great. And if you're going to have it, it ought to look good. Make sure it's a good lawn. If you're going to have a lawn, have a great lawn. If you're, if you're not going to have a great lawn and it's just going to be, you know, yeah. Catch as catch can. There's another term I wanted to use, but I caught myself. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I, I would just advocate that you, if you want green out there, then put in an artificial turf. You know.
0: Um, and you have done a little of that transition on your front. You've got the artificial turf. You still keep uh, lawn in the back for the dogs.
1: Dogs and the grandkids. And, uh, yeah, that's exactly what I did. So, um, y- y- you know, there's, ter- there's a place for all of that. Um, but it's just responsible. It's the really the concept of what we call xeriscaping is matching your landscape to your lifestyle. And uh, you know, if you're not using the lawn as a turf area, then you probably don't need it. You know, you're just wasting water.
0: One triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. If you have a question about your landscape or garden around your home castle or cabin we've been talking about lawn transitioning but jay you had mentioned earlier it's time for a lot of other transitions we can talk about flower transition vegetable garden transition here at rosie on the house right after bottom of the hour news break we can do a lot of things but we can't stop the clock Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with us. We are in the landscape and garden with Jay Harper. We spent the first part of the hour talking about your summer to, or I'm sorry, your winter to summer lawn transition, if you're doing one, or if you even need to worry about a summer lawn, especially if you have vacations planned, if you're going to do a lot of traveling. What's uh, a few months of just letting it go, saving the water, and focusing on a ryegrass, if that's your case? But if you're here all summer long, and you've got, like you said, kids and Pets, that was, I I always said I was never going to have a lawn because I got so tired of helping take care of ours growing up. Ah, yeah. But as soon as the kids came, so did the lawn.
1: (laughs) But as your kids get older, they get to take that responsibility (laughs) on, right? (laughs) That is the goal.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So, what other things are we transitioning? Because it's, uh, we are going to the hot months, but there's still plenty that we can uh, vegetable garden. Yeah,
1: absolutely. But the the number one thing I would make sure I transition would be my my irrigation system. So not not only do we need to probably increase the watering, not probably, we do need to increase the watering, but we also ought to make sure it's working properly. Um, A a great water conservation tool is also to make sure you're not spitting water out into the street or putting water into a gravel area that it doesn't need to go because it's not benefiting anything. So go through the system, make sure that all heads, drippers, emitters, et cetera, are working properly. Make sure there's not a lot of leaks uh, that are putting water where it doesn't need to be. And if you have leaky main lines, that's not allowing emitters and heads to function properly. So that's that's the first thing. And then, of course, rescheduling your timer.
0: I do see a time in the future where there could potentially be like a hotline you call – If you see water leaking or a sprinkler system that's, you know, draining uh, all these gallons onto the street and people end up getting fined for wasting water Well, it may be coming
1: quicker than we think. If we don't have a a wet winter next winter, you know, then we're probably talking about, I don't have any reason to say this other than a gut hunch, but we will be into some pretty critical water management um, protocols. Next year at this time, um, and we might see, you know, policing of of watering, uh, water rationing, maybe uh, days you can or can't water, d- depending on you know your address, that type of thing. So, what was if we can that- if we can do a better job of doing that on our own, you know, it's like anything else, we'll have government less involved in that as well. But. I'm sorry, I cut you off. Oh no,
0: worries. I it was. <clears throat> I was thinking of another one, like uh, car washing. You're not allowed to wash your car, but it's funny because right? it's like when was the last time you actually saw somebody washing their own car? And I the have a driveway? neighbor that does his own. <laughs> does um,
1: he? <laughs> I laugh. You know, I, I go Gary. He loves his car. He's 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 <clears throat> washing feather dusting. He, <laughs> his his cars are beautiful. But you know, I go to the I go to the six ninety nine drive, to drive through, through yourself. Deal. <laughs> if it needs – about once a month whether it needs it or not.
0: <laughs> and a lot of that water is reclaimed, repurposed, recycled. So it's
1: – Those guys have had to do that for years. They they made them recycle the water just like golf courses have to use affluent watering. Um, you know, there's there's some things in place where water has to be reclaimed. But,
0: yes. You, you, That's such a churched-up wordy fluent. <laughs> they use sewer water. <laughs> Gray water. <laughs>
1: yeah, whatever. Um But, uh, yeah, so we need to be responsible about our irrigation systems, and they need to function properly. And uh, that's the first thing I'd transition. Next, you know, if you've got winter flowering things like geraniums, petunias, and snapdragons, they're, they're going away quickly now if they haven't already. So we want to transition to summer flowers, vinca and pentas and angelonias and the things that that thrive in the warmer in the warmer weather. Um, <clears throat> but you mentioned vegetables. So, you know, we're probably harvesting things like tomatoes and peppers, you know, the what most of the country would just be planting now, we're harvesting. We're about done with. But things you can plant that will go through the summer and into the hot weather, melons and cucumbers and Squashes and eggplant and okra um, will all tolerate our summer heat if you want to keep them going again. um, Your gardens kind of like the lawn. If you're not out there enjoying it and nurturing it and and making it look good and and or using those vegetables. I mean, if you're growing tomatoes and nobody in your house likes tomatoes, that's actually (laughs) not a very responsible use of, of water and energy or time. So if nobody in your house likes okra or zucchini, you know, once your tomatoes and peppers burn up, let let the garden go for the summer. And I see a lot of people trying to nurse tomato plants through the summer to get them to fall again. Well, tomato plants are pretty cheap and they grow pretty fast. Um, I'm not so sure you're not money and time and water ahead, certainly water ahead. By just letting those tomato plants die, pull them up, turn the water off. Next fall, if you want to grow, start your tomatoes early. Start them in the fall and plant new ones. I mean, two two dollars and ninety nine cents or three, four, five bucks for a tomato plant, and you plant three or four of them. In most people's case, it's just I think it's I think it's fool's gold, as they say, to try and nurse a tomato plant through the summertime when it's not going to give you any fruit. And maybe it's going to recover and do okay next winter.
0: Now, what family does tomato vines come from? Somebody told mm. me they're poisonous and you should They're
1: nightshades. So that nightshade family is obviously a family of what can be poisonous plants. The plant itself on a tomato plant, I guess, you know, I mean, it has a certain level of toxicity. I don't know how much of it you'd have to eat to get poisoned. If you, Again... I, like oleanders, I've put a piece of oleander in my mouth. I don't know how on God's green earth you could <laughs> chew up and digest enough of that. It is so <laughs> awful, and the tomato plant is pretty bad too.
0: Well, I had somebody tell me don't feed that to your goats. After I'd fed them like four dead tomato Nothing plants, nothing'll kill a goat, and I, I never noticed <laughs> anything. No, <laughs> it, nothing'll kill a goat. So I didn't even change the taste of their milk, <laughs> and then I wouldn't worry about it. But
1: nightshade. Family
0: I just wonder if he's pulling my leg or if there's really some to that is
1: is technically the plant is uh, on the poisonous plant list, but again um, i I doubt there are very many instances of people that get sick I was or, really more worried qu-
0: qu- for you curious goats. about the, the milk well goat. if you used
1: it on the goats and you drank the milk of the goats and you had no repercussions, <laughs> I think I'd probably keep going. See nightshade says potatoes, tomatoes, peppers, and eggplants they're all common,
0: right is yeah, yeah, so yeah, there's even a ketchup and french fries plant that you can buy where they graft the tomato onto the root of a potato, so you yeah. can pull up your potatoes out of the dirt and pull because they're because off.
1: they're genetically <laughs> similar they they are you can do that, but you know, I don't know how. Successful that is, or is it? You know, it's kind of a neat idea, but I I don't know the how
0: practical. I haven't seen it, but yeah. I only in advertising and yeah. uh, <laughs> trade magazines. Right, vines though. We, I mean, watermelons. Could we still get in watermelon yes. vines and get a good harvest for the summer? Yeah,
1: watermelons, cantaloupes, absolutely can still be planted. Um, and and that's not a bad cover crop. So if you're going to just pull your tomato plants out and have bare dirt, you know, throw some tomato seeds out there or cantaloupe and let them co- at least cover the ground. Um, and you get a few cantaloupes out of it. it. That's a fun thing to do. But And they take up a lot of space. So that's a good way to use up. You know, if there's nothing else in that space for the summer, then let them cover the ground.
0: I want to put in an additional irrigation system into our orchard for vines because you obviously can't use the tree watering system and get your watermelons to grow. But uh, to have that shade around uh, the orchard tree canopies just to keep, one, the soil temperature. It's just
1: like a live mulch. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And plus you can eat the uh, watermelon, and we absolutely. will go through a ton of watermelon in the summer.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, there, there were days when I was working outside that we just go buy a watermelon for lunch. I just cut it up. It just cools you down. It hydrates you. Um
0: I love watermelon. You don't ever get a knot in your stomach from eating it, you know. Like, uh, you know, you, you could sit down and have something else, and and the heat of the day—it's hot, yeah. Completely wipe you out, make you right. not even feel like getting back up. But no, it,
1: it actually—I think it brings your body temperature down. If it's good and cold, it's just—it's refreshing and does fill you up. It
0: makes a good
1: cocktail, we, too. <laughs> Well, there's that. We don't want to do that for lunch, though. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> if we're working. If we're not working, well, maybe. <laughs> Sunday fun day. <laughs> Just saying, yeah. <laughs> Disclaimer time.
0: <laughs> it's amazing how cold the inside of a watermelon can be, even in the heat of the summer. It's, I, yeah, I crazy. think building science needs to look at watermelon rind as an insulating factor to increase our efficiency. What about that uh that watermelon rind that is so insulating. (laughs) Yeah, and
1: and the fact that there's all that moist water inside the watermelon. Um but yeah, you can go out on a hundred and ten degree a day and pick a watermelon and the the heart of that thing is cool. It's not gonna be ice cold like you had it soaking in, you know, a tub of ice ice, but it's still cool enough that it's refreshing.
0: Yep. So we still have time to plant watermelons, cantaloupe, uh, some vines. If you are looking for uh, something in your garden, uh, something to eat, something produce, vegetable wise, uh, you'd mention flowers a little bit briefly um, on your honeysuckles. I think is one of the ones that were well. Honeysuckle is
1: a shrub and, it, and it's it's permanent, so you don't need to replace that. But you could you could plant, you know, instead of petunias, we can use vinca. Sometimes people call them periwinkles. Uh, the sweet potato vine, the purple and green uh, vining plant that's very colorful. Um, Angelonia, which is sometimes called summer snapdragon. Uh, pentas. Uh, portulaca, which is moss rose. There's a number of things that will tolerate uh, the heat and, and give you some color in flowers all summer. Some places are going to even things like small varieties of bougainvillea and lantana just as a summer annual um, they tear them out you know come winter when they put the geraniums back in i did that in my pots last year i used a dwarfing type bougainvillea called alexandra in my pots and it was absolutely fabulous all summer long hmm. um, and didn't have to baby them do anything and uh, then when it came time for geraniums i just jerked them out and. Put geraniums in so works great. Let me tell you about the birds
0: and the bees and the flowers and the trees. Down to our final segment here in our outdoor living hour with Jay Harper. And what about pollinators? Um, planting to attract pollinators. We've got a Lantana that brings hummingbirds uh, mm-hmm. every night. Um, we have ash trees that I mean just sound like a beehive when. Every spring when they come, I and mean, you just walk underneath it and you can almost feel the air moving from all the wings beating. I mean, every little sprout of that uh, new yeah. leaf just has two or three bees on it constantly. Um, I was at my grandma's this week and she has off of her back patio jasmine and just uh, what what are some good pollinators to attract or plants to attract pollinators? Well, it's,
1: it's a great one. If we're talking about transition and, and a lot of our pollinators are very heat tolerant, summer flowers. One of our charter partners. Things like um, Mexican honeysuckle or Chuparoso, which is its cousin, the justicias. They have a, if you look at anything and it has kind of a tubular long flower, especially if it's orange or yellow or red, the hummingbirds are probably going to like it. So uh, any of the tacomas, you know, the, uh, what we call orange jubilee or uh, Arizona yellowbells or any of the hybrids of those, sparky, sparklet, bells of fire, um, those are all great ones, and they all bloom from from now through the summer. Um, hibiscus, if you've got maybe a little bit of a protected spot, uh, is a good one. You mentioned jasmine, citrus trees are great, great pollinators, and um, But there's a ton of them. Then there are uh, uh, the butterfly bushes, so the Asclepius family. So the the native desert one that we have here. And there's some tropical ones that are very colorful, oranges and yellows, take full sun um, and take heat. Those are great ones as well. So there's just a lot of them. And those could be grown in containers. If you're talking about summer annuals, I think we get hung up here, they don't in other parts of the country. So if you go to Chicago and walk down the Miracle Mile in Chicago in the summertime, their quote-unquote annuals, the definition of an annual, at least for me, is something that's only going to live one season. So it's going to live the summer season. That's all they have there. (laughs) You know, they don't have... (laughs) Winter and summer.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's... Snow and They flowers. have it or they don't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, they use things that we would consider uh, maybe landscape shrubs here as annuals, hibiscus, lilies even bananas for foliage, things like that. I think we get hung up here that if it's an annual, it's got to be in a little four-inch pot and maybe it it's going to die. Well, I'm, as I mentioned, I used bougainvillea. And I know... The, the company that uh, landscapes uh, uh, the resort close to your grandma's house, the Montalucia, they use a lot of bougainvias and tacomas, and uh, so does the uh, uh, the resort at Desert Ridge. Um, they use they're very creative. They use these flowering summer flowering shrubs as summer annuals. It really doesn't cost any more instead of buying eight or ten or twelve to fill the space, you're buying one. Um, So think creatively, maybe using things like ruellias, I see blooming outside our window here in the studio, Uh, Bougainvillea's, Hibiscus, Lantana's, as you have in your, that's more of, it's not an annual, you're leaving it there year-round. Some things you can. Most of these things won't look that great in the wintertime, so you're still going to have to tear them out and put you know, your petunias or pansies or geraniums in the winter. Plus, I like some variety and, you know, four or five pots doesn't break the bank and you can do that. So I think, I think we need to think outside the box a little bit. Think like more like we only have one, the places that only have one season, and, and use those flowering shrubs, which are also great pollinators uh, to have around uh, as, our, as our summer annuals.
0: And pollinators, bees, hummingbirds, butterflies... Um, all things that <clears throat> sorry, gather nectar,
1: basically. they're 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 in there collecting nectar and moving it around from flower to flower to flower. so they're they're moving the pollen as well uh, from one flower to the next. And you know, we'd be sol if we didn't have <laughs> pollinators in this world. So a lot of people freak out about bees. Most of the time, if you just quit swatting at it, leave it alone. It's going to eventually go on its way. And if you've got a swarm of bees hanging in a tree in your yard, they show up. They're usually traveling. They're usually gone the next day. Leave them alone. If they persist for a few days. Now, if you've got a hole in the wall and you've got a beehive in, in your, your house. wall, in your house, you know, <clears throat> you've got a problem. You need to call a professional and have it taken care of. But for the most case, leave them alone. We don't have enough of them.
0: They there is next. a live bee collector that we called out because one of our Pomegranate trees had a swarm in it, uh-huh. and he was there within two hours to collect them. They were gone. They'd already I, gone. They'd already gone. <laughs> yeah, times are just resting. I've read that a bee will fly up to fifty thousand miles in its life. Holy cow. And I don't think they live more than a season. Yeah, not very long. That's a worker. <laughs> yeah. Well, the summer heat is coming, but not all is lost. There's still a lot of great things we can do outdoors, and we've covered them here. Absolutely. Remember
1: when it if it's 110, it's only 110 at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It's still – so at noon, it means it's 100 degrees. So it, but up until noon, it's not even 100 yet.
0: And by September, you're going to be like, oh, this 100 degrees doesn't feel so bad.
1: Yeah, 105 is pretty darn nice. <laughs> That's pretty twisted, (laughs) (laughs) isn't
0: it? Jay Harper, thanks for spending your Saturday morning with us.